So this week's parsha is Parsha's Vayeshev, another action-packed parsha uh, with so many uh, amazing, amazing uh, stories and lessons to be learned. I want to share with you this morning uh, a real treat. It's a, a very, very important medrash. We're going to speak it out a little bit, and then I'm going to tell you uh, Rav Shach's understanding of the medrash. And then I'm going to tell you a Rashba on the Medrash and a, uh, a Ramah. And then I'm going to say my own Chiddush, uh, this Medrash. Okay, so it's a lot going on here this morning. And we'll do it all within 40 minutes, Plineder, okay? So let's see if we can pull this off. There's a Medrash that's found in Vayikra Rabbah, Perak Lamidalid, Medrash Ches. And the Medrash is going to discuss something in this parasha, and that's why we're bringing it. But it's a fascinating Medrash in and of itself that all the Svarim, all the Bali Musar bring this in one form or another, and uh, they each have tremendous insights in it. Listen to what the Medrash says. Amr Rabbi Yitzchak. Rabbi Yitzchak says, The Torah is teaching us Derech Eretz. That when a person does a mitzvah, what should he do? Whenever you do a mitzvah, you should do it with happiness. You should be happy doing the mitzvah. How do you know this? Where does the Torah teach us that you should do a mitzvah with all of your heart and with a happy heart? Had Reuven only known, and we bring it in this parsha, that Hakadosh Baruch Hu is going to record in the Torah the following pasuk: Reuven heard the news. He heard his brothers plotting against Yosef Hatzadik when Yosef came out to see how they were doing in Shechem or in Daisan. Then they saw him. They said, Ah. The dreamer is here, and they said, we're going to kill him. They planned on Mamish murdering their brother. Reuven heard this. Vayishma Reuven, he came and he saved Yosef. How did he save him? He said, let's throw him in a pit. His kavana was that after the brothers left, then he would go back and, and retrieve Yosef from the pit and save his life. But that was his intention. Had Reuven known that there would be uh, such a recording in the Torah of his deeds, he would put him on his shoulders and carry him to his father. Had Reuven known that all uh, the Torah, that the Torah would write about him, that he saved Yosef, then he wouldn't just have you know, done this uh, trick, thrown him in the pit, and then come back later. And of course, when he came back later, he wasn't in that pit anymore. But he actually would have gone, and he would have put Yosef on his shoulders and carried him back to his father. That's how Meiser Nefesh Reuven would have been, had he only known that the Torah would record that he saved Yosef. The Medrash continues and says that Bayaz also... Bayez had Bayez known that Hakadosh Baruch Hu would have written about him that he gave uh, he gave Rus he gave Naomi he gave Rus a little piece of parched uh, grain, then he would have 
fed her agolim petumim, very fat cows, fat calves he would have given him because he would have given her because he, he didn't understand how chashav it was, what he was doing. Had he realized that the Torah considered his actions to be so important and he would have been inscribed in the book of Rus for all time as having done this chesed with, with, uh, with Rus, he would have not just sufficed with a little grain, he would have given her much more fattened cows. And then the, the, the Medrash also says, it's actually not in the Yikarabba, but it's in, a, it's in a, a different Medrash, but a similar idea, that had Aaron Hakaye known that, that the Torah would have said that when he would go out to greet Meshach Rabbeinu, when Meshach Rabbeinu was just appointed as the leader of Klal Yisrael, that he was going to be happy, he was going to see him and be so happy in his heart, he would have greeted him betufim u'mechaylis. He would have greeted him with great fanfare, with a, with a band. He would have had a whole marching band come and greet Meshach Rabbeinu to show how how happy he was that he was appointed the leader. And then the Medrash concludes and says that you have to understand that in the olden days, people would do a mitzvah and the Navi would write down what he did. And now people do mitzvahs. Who's writing down what we do? And we put on tefillin in the morning. We daven. When we learn, when we do chesed, who's writing that down? And the Medrash says, El Yahu umelech hamashiach. El Yohan Melech HaMashiach are writing it down, Vakadosh Baruch Hu Chaisim Al Yedeim, and Vakadosh Baruch Hu actually signs and seals every single mitzvah that we do. Now, the obvious question about this medrash is, what's going on? What are we supposed to take away from this medrash? The medrash seems to be implying that he did it like whoever it was, whether it was Reuven, let's, let's focus on Reuven today because it's the parish of Reuven. So if Reuven had known that HaKadosh Baruch Hu would have considered the act that he did to be so important that the Torah is recording that he, Vayatzel Miyadam, that he saved Yosef, he would have actually gone and put him on his shoulders and carried him all the way to Yaakov. You know, that's how much he would, so, but he didn't know, so therefore he didn't do it. What's the Medrash saying? Is the Medrash saying that Ruvain was, uh, you know, was a publicity hound? He wanted the celebrity status. Had he known that you know, he would have gotten so much credit and fame for what he did, so then he would have done it much better? Doesn't sound like something that the Medrash would be teaching us. That's not a, a takeaway lesson for us. That, okay, we should only do things when the cameras are on. When the cameras are on, if you know that people are actually watching you, that's when you give a big pledge to tzedakah. That's when you sit and learn shtark. That's when you shuckle with a lot of kavan. If you're home, if you're, if you're davening biachidas in your room, then you could just do a shvachatil. But if people are, are, are giving you attention, ah, then you have to really, you know, do it right. Had Ruve known that the tire is going to, he didn't realize the cameras were on. Had he known the cameras were on, then he would have mamish picked him up on his shoulders and put him and brought him back to his father. Chas v'shalom, that's not how we're to understand the measures. The measure is not to be interpreted any which way. So Rav Shach and other Bali Musar, the way they explain the medrash is that, of course, Reuven did the mitzvah totally l'shma. He wanted to save Yosef, and in fact, he would have even gone the extra mile. He would have carried him on, on his shoulders to save him. But he didn't want to uh, 
do make a confrontation with his brothers because he wasn't exactly sure himself that his kavanas were so l'shem shamayim. So he basically stopped before he did anything more. He wasn't sure whether or not the Torah would even recognize what he did by saying, let's throw him in the pit. Maybe that was, you know, maybe that wasn't the best thing that he could have done. Maybe it wasn't even considered a Hatzala. Maybe his own intentions weren't pure. So he, he, he was afraid to do more than, than just putting him in the pit. He would have, he actually wanted to put him on his shoulders and carry him home, but he didn't feel that that was where he was holding. He, as far as, as far as his actual, uh, intentions and his, uh, and how far he thought he should be going here or he could be going here, he stopped before he did that. Now, he definitely would have wanted to. It's not like he only, only had the Torah, had he known that the Torah was recording it, then he would have done it. He would have done it, of course, even if the Torah had not recorded it, but he wasn't sure whether his own kavanas were pure enough to justify that action. Aaron Akayin also, Aaron Akayin would have come from Mulchaylis, he would have brought uh, a band, but but he didn't feel that that would be what was, uh, what was appropriate for him under the circumstances. And so he stopped short of doing that. But now that he realized, or if he would have realized that Taira said, no, 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 Aaron, your intentions were pure. We know that you really meant it fully, and your madregas were tremendously high and that Reuven's madrigas were tremendously high, then he would have done even more. He just didn't trust himself. He didn't know whether he himself was holding on that madriga. You have to live within the madriga that you're, that you're holding by. If you do more than, than, than you can, then that's not even... That's not appropriate for you. If I, uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm holding here and I'm acting here, then that's sort of not appropriate. Reuven and Aaron and, and Bayaz were all tremendously high, but they didn't know that themselves. Only once the Torah records their actions as something that's pure and holy and wonderful and amazing, now the Torah says, had they only known that, they would have actually gone the full mile and, 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 and done more and danced with, uh, with Aaron would have uh, danced with, uh, with Maishu Rabbeinu and Reuben would have carried him on his shoulders. But he wasn't sure exactly um, what the Torah would have felt about that. So he stopped short of it. But now that he sees the Torah really praises him, that's an amazing, amazing accomplishment. And he would have done as much as his heart really desired to do. Now, the Rashba brings this in a tshuva, this medrash, halachal maisa, because he was asked, somebody donated a shul and uh, he, he donated his house to build a shul there. And he, all he asked for in return for this very chash of a house was that there should be a plaque on the shul or on the walls that, you know, that he dedicated the house. Now, today, that goes without saying, we know the Rashba's Psak and the Ramah brings us halacha, that it's mutter. It's mutter, right? We have every shul in the world has plaques or has a name on the front of the shul, on the inside of the shul, every inch of the, of the shul has, uh, you know, has plaques on it and names, and uh, on the parechas there's names, and on, on the bima there's a name, and outside the aron and by the by the boxes for the phones, there's, uh, there's names. We know that that's, uh, there, there's names all over in every shul, every building. But what's the makar for that? So the Rashba brings in a tshuva that it's 100% mutter to put your name, 
because we see from this medrash that when a person does a mitzvah, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu records it. And if HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't record it, it's still being recorded. Elio and Malach HaMashiach are recording it, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu signs it, meaning that there is a mitzvah, in the Lashon of the Rashba, there's a mitzvah, Lefarsim, Eisei Mitzvah. When people do a mitzvah, it's a mitzvah Lefarsim. The Torah is being Mefarsim, all of these great, this, these, these three personalities that we mentioned in the Medrash, Ruvain and Aaron and Bayaz, the Torah is being Mefarsim what they did. The Torah records it and gives them great praise for doing it. And if the Torah is doing it, says the Rashba, then we also have a mitzvah to be mefarsim. It's not something you should do. Obviously, if a person doesn't want to get the fanfare, he doesn't necessarily have to. But if he wants it, he's entitled to it. He's entitled to getting covet. He's entitled to being honored at a dinner. He's entitled to get a plaque or, or his name emblazoned on a building. If that's what he wants, the Torah does it. The Torah emblazing Reuven's name and giving him covet is, is no less than a person having a, his, his name in, in big letters on the building. And so if that incentivizes him, then there's nothing wrong with being... It's a mitzvah to people that do mitzvahs. It's a mitzvah to call out if a person does a chesed, if a person does tzedakah, if a person makes a siyam. You should give him fame, give him credit. He deserves it. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is recording it, so we could also record it. This is what the Rashba says, and it's brought down, One thing I want to say about this Medrash, if I may, is just it's a small diuk, that, but I think it's very, very significant, and I think you'll enjoy um, perhaps what we're going to bring out of it. It says that if Aaron, if Reuven rather would have known that the Torah wrote about him that he went and he, uh, and he saved Yosef from the pit, that the Torah was going to write, Vayishma Ru'uvein Miyadam, that Ruvain heard and saved him from his hand, from the hands of the brothers. So, Hayatayanai al-Ksefai umaylichai Then he would have put Yosef on his shoulders and carried him to his to his father, to Yaakov. The question that I had is, why specifically would it say that he would carry him on his shoulders? Maybe I would have said, you know, he would have taken him in a stretch limo. I would have, uh, you know, rented like a really beautiful chariot. A rechev, in the old days they had rechev, they, right, Yosef picked up his father in a rechev from Mitzrayim in a chariot, in a royal chariot. Why didn't it say that? If Reuven had known that he was going to get such credit for saving Yosef, he would have, he would have brought him in a rechiv. He would have put him on really beautiful white horses. He would have, uh, I don't know, he would have uh, figured out something. Why is it specifically that he would have put him on his shoulders? That seems a bit like, uh, it, it's, I mean, it's a, you know, it, it, there's something there. The Medrash is trying to tell us something. By Aaron, it says that he would have brought a band. There's definitely significance to that also. Why didn't it say he would have brought a band? Why didn't it say, what's, what's significant about the bringing of Yaakov, uh, the bringing of Yasef on the shoulders of Reuven? There are many other ways that he could have brought him to Yaakov. There's something here, and that's what I want to discuss this morning. Reuven 
was a very, very significant player in this story. Not just because he saved Yosef, but because he had the most skin in the game not to save Yosef. Of all the brothers that didn't much like Yosef, were jealous of Yosef, had issues with Yosef, felt that Yosef uh, was loved more than they were by their father, and, and that Yosef shouldn't have brought Yibara against them. But there's one thing that Reuven had that really could have irked him about Yosef more than all the other brothers. What's that? You see, Reuven was the Bukhar. We know that Reuven was the oldest son of Yaakov, the very first child that Leah bore Yaakov was Reuven. Reuven should have been the Bukhar. Just like Yaakov was the Bukhar because he got the, that Bukhar from Esav, Reuven should have been the Bukhar as well. We know that it didn't work out that way for Reuven. Reuven actually had to concede the Bukhara to Yosef. Yosef was the Bukhar from Rachel, and Yaakov made him, made Yosef the Bukhar. Bukhar, we know, is a big deal. Like, look what happened between Yaakov and Esau because of the Bukhara. It was obviously a huge title, a huge covet to be the Bukhar. Reuven was supposed to be the Bukhar, and this Yosef usurped the Bukhara from Reuven. Now, if there's one person of all the brothers that had every reason to kill him, it was Reuven, because if Yosef wouldn't have survived this episode, Reuven would presumably have become the Bukhar once again. He was the natural, he was the only Bukhar of, other than Yosef, he was the only firstborn of a, of a regular wife, of either Rachel or Leah, it was either Yosef or Reuven. So Reuven was the one that really had a lot of reason to not want Yosef to stay alive. And yet, the Pasuk praises Reuven for saving Yosef's life. For saving Yosef's life. So this was a tremendous milo that we're giving Reuven that not just that he saved Yosef's life, but that he saved Yosef's life even though he should have really wanted to not save Yosef's life. Now, the truth is that this is something that's actually baked into the name of Reuven. Reuven's name itself speaks to this inherent milo that Reuven had. Let me read you the Rashi. Rashi, when Reuven was born... If you want to look it up, it's Perak Chavtes, Pasag Lamed Beis, Vatikra Shemay Reuven, she called his name Reuven, Rashi says, Pirshu, Rabbi Seno Pirshu, the Gemara and Bracha says, Amro Leah, Leah says, Reu Ma Bein Bini, look at the difference between my son Reuven, that was just born, but she knew Baruch HaKadosh what would happen, Leben Chami, Versus the son of my father-in-law. Who's the son of my father-in-law? Well, Leah's father-in-law was, was Yitzchak. Yitzchak's son was Esav. So look at the difference between my son Reuven as opposed to Esav. So she's pitting Reuven against Esav. What's the difference? Esav, Shemacher Bechar Yaakov. Esav actually sold the birthright to Yaakov, the firstborn. And Reuven never sold anything to Yosef. And he didn't complain. Meaning, 
Esav was always complaining about Yaakov stole the brachas. Yaakov stole the brachas. That was his whole refrain, his whole life. Yaakov st- Did he steal the brachas? No. He sold the brachas to, to Yaakov. Yaakov gave him the Zidadashim for it. He, it was sold. It was a, a real business deal. So it was sold, but yet the whole, his whole life he was always complaining. Esav was always complaining. Yaakov stole the brachas. double. He always messes me over. For all future times, Esav was never happy that Yaakov took the Bukhair from him. On the other hand, Reuven, who didn't even sell the Bukhair to Yasef, Reuven, it was just taken away from him. He didn't get anything for it. There was never a transaction. Not only did he never utter a word of complaint, he wanted to take him out of the pit. He wanted to take him out of the pit. So that's the greatness of Reuven. The greatness of Reuven is that he didn't only save his life, he had every reason not to save his life. And yet he did save his life. He took away the Bechayr from him. But he said, I still want to save Yosef. That's the godless of Reuven. So now we see that there is an inherent difference, a polar opposites, a lesson in contrast between Reuven and Esav. Esav wanted the Bechayr desperately, even though he sold it. He always wanted it back. Reuven gave it up gladly to Yosef. He realized, Yosef, you deserve it. I'm giving you, Tati wants you to have it. It's yours. Not only is it yours, I'm even going to save your life to ensure that you're the Bechayr. That's a tremendous lesson that we learn from the mile of the greatness of Reuven. Okay, so now, keeping that in mind, what we just said, that the Maila of Reuven, and in his name is Reuven, look at the difference between my son and Esav. Now, bearing that in mind, I want to teach you, or learn with you, an amazing Gemara that I don't know if you know about, but it's a, it's a fascinating Gemara. The Gemara is in Avedizara. And it's on Yud Aleph and Vez. You have to look at it, you have to check it out later inside, if those of you that are... Are, do not have a Gemara nearby, but it's a it's Yud Aleph from a base in Abedazara, and the Gemara is speaking about Roman holidays, because Abedazara, a lot of Abedazara is talking about Gaiyasha holidays and what we're allowed to do, you know, which is very Nagaya these days between Thanksgiving and 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 Kratzmach next week or whenever it is or in a month. Uh, so you have to know there are certain halachas about what to do. On holidays, what you know, what you could say to a guy, what you can say to a guy if you're allowed to sell him food so that he could eat it at, on his holiday or not, if you're allowed to send gifts to him. That's what the first part of Avodah is pretty much talking about. So, Agav, this discussion, the Gemara surprisingly describes a pagan festival, a pagan yantif uh, that, uh, that took place, and this is what went on. Listen to this fascinating Gemara. There's another festival that took place in Rome. Once every 70 years, they used to bring a person that was healthy. That person that was health, healthy represented Chiger, And they would ride him upon the shoulder of a cripple, of a lame person who represented Yaakov, because Yaakov was 
he was he was crippled. He had a because when he fought with the Sarashal Esav, with the angel that we learned about a couple of weeks ago, he became uh, he became physically uh, physically challenged. Umalbishin Esai Big Day the upper one who represented Esav would be dressed in the clothing of Admarishain. Umenichin Lai on his head would be placed the scalp of Rabbi Shmuel. Rabbi Shmuel Kain Gadol was a very handsome man. If you recall from what we say in on Yom Kippur by the Asaruge Malchus and Ela Ezkara, and we also speak about it on Tishabav in the Kinnis of Asaruge Malchus in the Arze Levana in uh, Kinna, we speak about how the daughter of Caesar. She thought that Rabbi Shmuel was so handsome, and because of that, she insisted that you know it's a shame just to kill him and to bury him like that. What a beautiful man! So she had his scalp flayed, and she sort of maintained his the skin of his face, almost like a mask of the face of Rabbi Shmuel, and that mask was placed on the top man who represented Esav, and they hung from his neck a stone that weighed uh, 200 zuz. It weighed 200 zuz. They covered the streets with certain types of uh, flowers or greenery. And they declared before him, Sach Kiri Plaster, the calculation of the ruler is wrong, meaning the Cheshpan that Yaakov Avinu made about when the Gullus would end is completely off. Achuha de Marama Zaifana, the brother of our Lord, meaning the brother of Esav, talking about Yaakov Avinu, is a cheat. The Romans who came from Esav celebrated Esav, and they said that. The brother cheated him out of the Bechaira, to Chame Chame. And whoever sees this spectacle today, sees it. Udaloi Chame, and whoever does not see what we're doing here, Loi Chame. They will never see it because it only takes place once every 70 years. Nobody's going to be able to see it twice. Maya Hanilara Musa. What benefit did the swindler get from his swindling? Talking about Yaakov Avinu. And the cheat from his cheating. And this is how they would conclude. Woe to this one when that one arises. Rashi says that means that woe is to Esau when Yaakov has his, has his uh, when he has his day in the sun, then of course Esau slides whenever Kishazek comes and Neifel, they have an inverse relationship. And that's basically the Gemara uh, that I wanted to share with you this morning. A fascinating Gemara. It's a celebration, a Roman celebration. Every 70 years, they would take somebody that symbolized a cripple, which was Yaakov, to symbolize Yaakov. He would be on the bottom. Riding on his shoulders was a healthy man with Ace looking that was supposed to represent Esau. And they would make him beautiful by putting on him the mask of of Rabbi Shmuel Kain Gadol, and they would uh, walk him through the streets, a big parade, a lot of pomp and circumstance, and they would say that his brother was a swindler, terrible Yaakov, you, you gypped Esav out of the Bechaira, 
and it's really his, and he deserves the Bechaira, and uh, what is he going to do? He, you know, he, he, he lost the Bechaira, and a cheat is, uh, what does he gain from his cheating? And that's basically the, the, the amazing celebration that the Romans had. It was a Roman pagan festival. What do you get from this Gemara? What's the takeaway from, for us from this Gemara? What I'd like to submit to you is that what we see is the, that Esav, who again, remember, we're contrasting Esav with Reuven, right? Esav and Reuven were foil characters here in terms of how they viewed the firstborn right. Esav viewed himself always as the rightful Bukhar, even though Yaakov bought it from fair and square, and then Yaakov got the, 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 um, the, the brachas from their father, maybe not so fair and square, but he got them anyway. Esav never admitted to this. Esav never, never could concede that to Yaakov. So much so that hundreds of years later, thousands of years later, the Romans were still celebrating and putting Yaakov on the bottom and Esav riding on his shoulders. What does that symbolize when Esav rides on his shoulders? That really Esav is being shaylet over Yaakov. Esav is still reigning supreme over Yaakov. That's how Rashi even, Rashi even learns that. That, there is, uh, that what we learn from this Gemara is that when whoever was on, on the bottom, look at the Lushan of Rashi is, that Adam Chiger, the person that was supposed to symbolize Yaakov, was limping. Klaimar Adayin Esav Shailet Al Yaakov. Esav is still Shailet over Yaakov. I don't care what happened with, Yaak- with, with Yitzchak, with the Brachas, with the Nizid Adashim. Esav is Shailet over Yaakov. Esav is the rightful Bukhar. Esav is riding on the shoulders of Yaakov. Riding on the shoulders. If somebody's riding on my shoulders, that means that he's the Melech. Like, you know, by a chasana, a lot of people, all of a sudden, the chasana by the Badekin. Or during the dancing, what do they do? They put the chassan on the shoulders of somebody and they ride around with them and, and the chassan is beaming. What does that symbolize? The chassan is the melech. The chassan is shaylet. The chassan is ruling. Tonight's his night. And when you're riding on somebody's shoulders, that means that you are superior to everybody around you. You're it. If that's true that Esav insisted that he was shaylet over Yaakov, and therefore in future generations he would be riding on the shoulders of the, the make-believe Yaakov and Esav. Esav would be on the shoulders of Yaakov, as if to symbolize that I am the Bukhar, says Esav. Now we can understand the contrast to Reuven. Had Reuven who understood that Yosef deserved the Shlita of the Bechaira. He understood, he accepted it. He was fine with it. He was mature about it. He understood, listen, if I deserve the Bechaira, great. If, if Yaakov Inu decides to take the Bechaira away from me and give it to Yosef, that's his prerogative. I fully submit to the Das Taira. I fully submit to the fact that I am not the Bechaira. I went as far as to save Yosef's life. I put him in the pit with full intention to get him later. But, says the Medrash, if Reuven would have known how much the Torah celebrated this fact, he would have gone a step further even. He would have put Yosef on his shoulders and brought him to his father. What does that symbolize? 
Beautiful. It symbolizes the fact that he was able to submit to the Malchus of Yosef. That Yosef is indeed the Bachar. He's the Melech. He's the Shailet. I'm not. I'm submissive to him. By Reuven actually physically putting him in on, his, on his shoulder, that's taking it a step further. Not only did he pull him out, did he try to save him by throwing him into the pit and eventually trying to get him out of the pit, but what he really did was a step further. He really dreamt of putting him on his, on his shoulders and bringing him back home as if to say, I admit that you're the Bukhar. Not only do I admit it, I'm the one that's going to be mamluch you as the Bukhar. I'm going to put you on my shoulders and I'm going to carry you to our father as if to say, Father, whatever you decided about Yosef, here he is, he's on my shoulders, he's the Melech. And that's the Pshat in Reuven, Ru Ma Bain Bani Leben Chami. The very name of Reuven speaks about this. The great contrast between the ability for Reuven to be Mamlech Yosef over him, as opposed to Esav, who was never able to concede his loss to Yaakov Avinu. And I think that's an Emma Subshad in the Medrash. I'll, I'll just end with a uh, just a little takeaway like I always like to do. The mark of greatness of a person is being able to be mamlech somebody else, to make somebody else feel good about themselves. And we've spoken about this so many times. Many people think that if they compliment somebody else, if they say, wow, you're, you're such a lamdan, that was such a great question you asked Rabbi and Shir, or you're such a masmid, or you're such a fine person, or you're so good at basketball, or you're so good in, you know, in, in college work, or you're so, uh, you're, you're just, uh, you're, you're, whatever, I love your sneakers. Whatever you say to a person, you feel there's a psychology behind it that for some reason people are afraid of giving compliments because they feel that if they give a compliment to somebody, then that means that they have lowered themselves. For some reason, if I tell you that you know you're uh, you're great in basketball, then that means by maybe it means that I'm making you better than me in basketball. It means like I'm giving you more cover than I deserve than than I than I have. I don't want to do that. I want people to think that I'm great in basketball. I want people to think that I'm a tamachah. If I say that you're a tamachah, then that maybe lessens me. But the truth is that it's the exact opposite. The Medrash, the, the Mishnah rather in Pirkei Yavis says, Ezel mechubad hamechabed es You know who's really honored? You know who really deserves respect? Somebody who gives honor to other people. The more that you're able to honor other people, the more you're an honorable person. If I'm able to go and cheer you up, I see that you're maybe sad about something, and I go and say, hey, what are you sad about? And you tell me, I say, who cares? Just, you're so amazing. You're such an amazing person. Don't let it get you down. And I build you up. I lift you up. Who's the real honored person here? Well, I gave you honor, but I'm the one that's really mechubad. I'm the one that really feels, should feel good about himself. If I see, if I'm able to bring a smile to your face, if I'm able to make you feel good again, if I'm able to pick you up, 
I'm the honored person. I'm the one. That, that, that doesn't take away one scintilla of honor from me. It gives me honor. It makes, wow, you know, you're an amazing person. You're giving out honor. That means that you have a lot of honor to give away. It means you're, you're, you have self-confidence. You feel good about yourself, that you're able, you're in a good place yourself, that you're able to tell other people how good they are. And this is something that's so essential, and we've spoken about it, I think, just this week in Avadi, but I'm trying to recall as we're, as we're talking what the context of it was. But there's so much truth to that. If a person is a husband, okay, and as a husband you go and your wife makes a meal, and it's, a, it's delicious, or even if it's not so delicious, I tell her... It's amazing. You worked so hard. You, you, the presentation is beautiful. It tastes amazing. You, you know, you're like the best cook in the world. Does it cost me anything? It doesn't cost me a thing. Does it take away any of my covet? Absolutely not. Does it make my wife feel special and loved? Yes. So who's the winner here? Obviously, my wife feels good about herself, but I'm, I am elevated in the process. If I'm telling my children, you know, that, you know, they did really well on the test, even if they didn't do really well on the test, but I give them chizuk and I say, you did well on the test, you're amazing. If they're playing basketball and I say, they're, you know, you're really good basketball, even if they're not such a great basketball, but I build them up, it picks them up, but I'm the one that really is laudable. I'm, I'm the one that's, that, that is more praiseworthy in the process. The more you give covet to other people, the more you're chashev. The more you're the celebrity, you're celebrated because you have the ability to give covet to other people. If you're a, if you're a boss and you have people working under you and, you're, and you're, you're very stingy with compliments, guess what the employee's uh, productivity will look like? It'll look like junk. It'll look like garbage. You know why? Because they're, why, do I, why would I want to you know, bring my A-game to, to work every day if my boss doesn't notice me or he doesn't care about me. So I'm working for nothing. I'm just, uh, you know, it's, I don't want to go to work. But let's say I create a, 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 a climate and a culture at work that people actually feel good about themselves and they feel special, they feel relevant in the big scheme of, of the corporate ladder and that there, there's mobility here and that there's recognition and there's raises and there's bonuses and people are, are made to feel really good. If they work well, they're going to feel really good and we're going we're gonna to give them celebrity, we're going to praise them publicly, we're going to make them the employee. Of, that's gonna, is that, does that take away from the CEO? It gives the CEO much more productivity, much more covet himself. People like him now. People want to produce for him, going to work for him. A Rebbe in Sheer, if a Rebbe is able to constantly give chizuk and give compliments, it doesn't take away from the Rebbe. It builds the Rebbe. And the same thing is true for everything. We can't give a hundred examples, but it, it applies to everything throughout life. It's a secret to life that's free, but it's the most powerful powerful thing that we have in our arsenal to give compliments, to build other people. You know, there's a, a medrash that's brought in the Sefer Reish's Chachma. Reish's Chachma is a Musr Sefer that was uh, one of the early Musr Svarim. It's a very scary Sefer, actually. 
uh, because it speaks about in great detail what Gehenim looks like and Yehem Hadin. It's quite frightening. Reb Chaim Kanievsky, believe it or not, says that it's a safer you should learn with your children. Even though, like, you know, it doesn't seem like such a great idea because, you know, I think my kids would need therapy for many years if I were a teacher, but maybe Reb Chaim's kids, you know, and maybe in B'nai Brak they're able to handle it better, but it's a really, you know, it's a very graphic, uh, graphic safer about all those fun things that, you know, we don't want to know about. So, in this Sefer, and I think this is the only Makar for this Medrash that's found in the Sefer, it says that one of the few things that are, one of the first things at least, that's going to be asked of us on the Yemadin HaGadol, when we go up to Shemayim after 120 they're going to ask you one simple question. They're going to ask us a few questions, but one of the major questions is, which means, did you make your friend a king over you? What does that mean? Did I make him a king? Did I get a crown from, uh, you know, from the store and put it on his head? What does that mean, make him a king? It means that, were you mamluch your friend? Did you make your friend feel extra special, even though it seems to have been on your cheshpen, that you were like Reuven, riding King Yosef on your shoulders. But did you do that? Were you willing to submit to other people to make them feel better? Even at the expense of maybe something, a personal look. Reuven had a lot of reason not to do this. Reuven had a lot of reason to be really jealous and bitter about Yosef because look what he did to him. Look what he took away from his Bechira, his future, his destiny, his legacy. Reuven didn't see it that way. Reuven says, listen, there's a God in the world and if Hashem wants Yosef to be the Bechar, so be it. I'm fully acknowledging that. I'm conceding everything. Not only that, I'm lifting Yosef on my shoulders. I'm being mamluchim as a melech. I'm giving over to him the keys to the melucha happily. Very difficult to do. Very, very difficult to do. Reuven had that capacity to do it, and that's why the Torah praises him, gives him celebrity, gives him fame, puts a big plaque in the Torah. Every Shabbos, Parashat Vayeshev, Klal Yisrael lanes in front of the whole Klal Yisrael, this pasuk of Ayishma Reuven Matsilim Yadam that Reuven heard and he saved his life because Reuven was able to have this gavura, this great inner strength, this great self confidence to lift up Yosef, that he wanted to lift up Yosef as a, look at Esav. Esav is the opposite. Esav is a is a is a wild man. He just cares about his ego and he, he would never ever allow Yaakov to be on his shoulders. He wants to be ridden on, 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 on Yaakov's shoulders. He doesn't want Yaakov to be on... He wants to be ridden on Yaakov's shoulders. He would never put Yaakov up on his shoulders. But look at Reuven. Reuven put Yosef on his shoulders, and that's what we have to do in our lives. We have to find all the Yosefs in the world that, are, that don't have such an easy life. Yosef was amazing, but look at what he went through. Look at the suffering. Look at the jealousy that he had to endure. Look at all of the, uh, the, the, the torment that his brothers put him through. S- putting him into a pit with snakes and scorpions, selling him down to Egypt. One thing after another thing. And Yosef, of course, at the end rose to, to great prominence. But Yosef was not going through easy times. Reuven recognized this. None of the other brothers did, but Reuven did. 
and Reuven saved his life and would have given him the glory that he deserved. And he had no problem doing that. And we also have to look, at, look for the Yasefs, all of the, the untapped talents out there, the people that should be having it easier, but life isn't always so easy for them. So we have to go and save those people. And there are people all around to be saved. Every single person needs to be saved in one way or another. Every person, I don't know a single person in the world that doesn't need some sort of, of, of compliment, some sort of chizuk, idud, something. Everybody needs something. Even the richest, most powerful people, sometimes they need it more than others even. And when we look through the, at the world like that and we're able to understand the greatness of Reuven and how we could be Reuven's too, then the Torah will speak about us greatly as well. Eliyahu and Melech HaMashiach will write every single time we pick up somebody on our shoulders. HaKadosh Baruch Hu will sign and seal that. And that will be our covet forever. Never believe that covet is only what we get when people honor us and people speak about us, and people praise us, and people write things about us in, in newspapers and magazines, that is a form of covet, but that's not nearly the covet that we could get when we give covet. The feeling that we have when we give out honor pales in comparison to any honor that I may receive from other people. When you give honor, that's the greatest form of honor that you'll ever have. That's what Uvein teaches us that's what the parasha teaches us. Rabbi Sam, I'm so happy that we're able to get together on this Arab Shabbos. I want to wish you all a beautiful Shabbos and uh, enjoy your weekend and, uh, and relax. And Amit Sashem, we look forward to seeing you back uh, on Monday.